Bold Stroke for a Husband is a classic because it features five baddest women and squirrels. I mean, that doesn't. <laughs> well, it's only squirrel singular. But... It's true. It is only one squirrel. It's also only one, one salamander. So what are you going to do? This is a history. This is a Hello and welcome to This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater Podcast. We're your hosts, Mary Candler, the Artistic Director of Hedgepig Ensemble Theater and a curator of Expand the Canon. And me, Emily Lyon, the Associate Artistic Director of Hedgepig Ensemble and also a curator of Expand the Canon. And we are here to introduce you to some plays by women that are classics. Classics. Expand the Canon is a program of Hedgepig Ensemble, a company dedicated to reimagining the classics, creating a legacy of storytelling with gender equity at the core. Indeed. That's what's up. That's what we're here to do. And I'm so excited this week to tell you that Bold Stroke for a Husband by Hannah Cowley is a classic. It's a classic, y'all. It is. And I will say it again. I will say it many times on this podcast. If you have ever thought about producing Taming of the Shrew, think again, produce this play instead. You're welcome. I mean, do we just want to like talk about Taming of the Shrew as a play? Because I think this is where this all begins because you can't talk about Bold Stroke for a Husband really without talking about it in comparison. Well, that's not true. You can do it on its own, but it is just like so obviously begging for a conversation. I mean, I think we, in having worked on Timmy of the Shrew, um, interestingly enough, the only pants role I ever played uh, was Hortensio in Timmy of the Shrew. So there's a fun mental picture for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had some great plastic fake glasses. But in Taming of the Shrew, you're always doing this weird wrestling match with especially that last monologue. How do we twist that last monologue to be feminist or to be not offensive to feminists? And look, I do have a lot of fondness for parts of that play, but it is just such you you do have to turn yourself into pretzels to to make Taming of the Shrew an acceptably feminist story today. The only reason I ever really want to advocate for Taming of the Shrew is, frankly, because of that, like, mm, ACT production from, like, the 70s or the 80s or whatever, where they're all, like, Commedia characters. Mm. And, like, when you go to Commedia, sure, you're, like, talking about, like, archetypal human behavior, but, like, mm, maybe losing some of, like, our complex humanity. But, like, don't women deserve humanity to... Um, they do, but also, I would totally argue that this, this, uh, that Bold Stroke for a Husband can uh, completely handle that kind of comedia level character if you want to go there. I will also note that I think they are a little more nuanced and have a little more, um, slightly more contemporary humanity to each of the characters. You've got, so you've got, for Timmy the Shrew, if you're interested because you have an empowered woman who's trying to set her own destiny, check. Bold stroke for a husband, got it. 
if you're interested in this play because you think the whole subplot with the suitors is funny, ugh, check this play has it. If you are interested in Taming the Shrew and you're interested in having two women that talk to each other a little bit uh, and have slightly different points of view on what it is to be a wife... We do that better, uh, we being bold strip for a husband. Um, <laughs> Hannah Kelly and I are speaking as one um, when we say bold husband, got it. So yeah, I think pretty much anything. Cute love scenes, we have it. You also have a reference to a go-kart and a salamander in there. Just saying. I mean, that's worth its weight in gold. I don't know what a go-kart was at this time. And frankly, <laughs> I need to pull out a But I'm just going to go for like, I much prefer believing it's like a Mario go-kart. And I'm just going with it. Well, yes, that's also one of the things. I wanted to bring up a couple of the like edits we made in our Expand the Canon um, did you edit that? Suggested... No, no, no. I did not edit either of those things. Okay, the go-kart is... is like real Hannah Cowley language. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That is not me. Um, what is me is I did replace uh, Jew's harp with kazoo. So in that case, you have a go-kart, a salamander, and a kazoo, which feels like the triple threat. And by the way, if you're interested in this brilliant cut, which by the way, this play does not need much cutting. We were just doing some thoughtful little trims. But you can find our cut script on expandthecanon.com. Dot com. Yes. We'll harmonize on that one day. It will be seamless. Legacy. If you're thinking of producing The Taming of the Shrew... Consider this play, featuring five bold women with strength and agency instead. While Olivia takes on various unattractive qualities to unsuit her various suitors, despite her frustrated father's attempt to marry her off, Laura and Victoria are wooing each other, yet competing with each other, both in an effort to best Don Carlos. Bold Stroke for a Husband has the levity and hijinks of a Shakespearean comedy with the feminist attitudes of a much more modern piece, combining the best of Shrew and Twelfth Night in one tight, funny, and uplifting narrative. You know, I I would be already interested. I think that's a great summary. I do, too. I stand by that summary. I, I think that sells this play. I think we could just end this podcast now. We're good. Yeah, Totally. But maybe you want to know more. <laughs> I would love to tell you more. Um, in case you're curious about like all this comparison with True, who you're watching out for in this play is Donna Olivia. Um, she would be the Catherine of Taming of the Shrew if you are desperate to make uh, comparisons. Um, she is the one turning herself into pretzels to avoid suitors, with one exception. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Her father, Don Caesar, is desperate to marry her off. And uh, if she does not concede, he's threatening to remarry himself. Not a dreaded stepmother. I know. Well, she's not too worried about it. She just wants to have the nice part of the apartment, which I think is actually very funny. Luckily, her maid, Minette, who is also a fun, fun, fun character... She is in on Olivia's charade and helps her scare off all of the various men that come knocking. So we've already got two fun ladies in this play. I'm going to keep count of them because I think we're going to have some more. So we got one, two. Here we go. Olivia, Minette. Boom. So we start this play, actually, with another badass lady, Donna Laura. 
number three. So Donna Laura is no longer in love with Don Carlos because he has been spouting a bunch of BS and she now has a new beau. Um, she's very sassy. She's strong. She knows what she wants. So she's not into Don Carlos anymore. They had a fling, but it's over partially because Don Carlos is married. Not to her, to be noted. <laughs> not to Donna Laura. That is correct. <laughs> he has a different wife um, and he's been sniffing around Donna Laura, who is just like out to live life well, get her own, you know. He is, Don Carlos, however, is now very sad and frankly angry because he handed over the deed to his land to her when he was like wooing her which is a bad move i mean what a ding dong yeah he's clearly never watched judge judy in his life <laughs> so unfortunately he's married to as we know not donna laura but instead donna victoria who happens to be donna olivia's bestie badass lady number four so victoria is heartbroken but she is not broken so she this is where like victoria and olivia have very different opinions about what it is to be a wife and to be a woman and i think that that's actually kind of beautiful and fascinating you really get two very different perspectives from the women in this play and i think that that is something that is underappreciated or underwritten in most classics now while she may not always in her speech have the most uh, fiery feminist lines, Victoria is also a badass because she is basically Viola in a certain way. And she goes, she dresses a man to get her own man back. Um, so she dresses up as a character named Florio in order to get the lost deed back from Laura by seducing her. I mean, she's got cojones. <laughs> right? Like, that takes that takes confidence. There's, like, a moment at the very end where, like, Olivia is like, you don't need a man to treat you badly to be the badass that you are. Uh, okay, so Olivia says, Now I trust, Don Julio, after all this, that if I should do you the honor of my hand, you'll treat me cruelly, be a very bad man, that I, like my exemplary cousin, Victoria says, Hold, Olivia, it is not necessary that a husband should be faulty to make a wife's character exemplary. Yes, I guess she doesn't exactly say you don't need a man to treat you bad, but it's like the exact, it's that. Yeah, that idea of like, I I didn't become a saint because my husband was bad to me. Anyway, fascinating portraits of marriage, the realities of marriage, the nuances of marriage. So, I mean, I totally derailed you. What else is happening in this play? Okay, so we've mentioned uh, Olivia and Victoria. We've mentioned Florio as this whole plot to get Laura to give up the, the deed to her house. Also, Victoria no longer has a house because Laura has it in her possession now. So Don Caesar, who is Olivia's father, is trying to make good on his threat to remarry if she doesn't marry. He's been sizing up a local teenager, Marcella. So badass woman number five. And he just meets up with her dad. They agree that she can marry him, which is creepy. Hashtag patriarchy. No, no, no. And then they have a very cute scene after that, actually, where Marcella and Don Caesar meet. And they're both really nervous and awkward. And they both kind of, spoilers, they both kind of think it's a terrible idea. 
but they move forward. However, Marcella, again, being a badass, sends Olivia a letter to say, hey, there is no way this is happening. Here's all the details. He's trying to trick you into just getting married. We'll be fine. Wink, wink, wink. Uh, and you got to love, you got to love two ladies in cahoots, especially ladies that don't know each other. I love it. And, but I also want to shout out, I also love Don Caesar in this because he's like, they, I think they call him out as a 63 year old man. And he's, um, you know, Marcella's 19 in the script. And he's just like, ugh. This doesn't feel good, guys. This doesn't feel right. And it's just really refreshing to see the old guy say, like, this feels unnatural, thanks. Yeah, no, Don, Don Caesar is actually a wonderful, a wonderful opportunity for an actor. Actually, I think all of these roles are. So they they have this cute scene where they're both wigged out. Um, Marcella works this whole plan. She's great. I love it. Ladies working together, supporting each other. Uh. So... The big reveal, who is Olivia into that she has been avoiding all of these other men? Well, Don Julio. Um, he's, of course, buddies with Don Carlos, which really, again, fits back into that sort of taming of the shrew setup. Don Carlos comes back into town, runs into Don Julio. Um, and he's also friends with all of Olivia's other suitors. So Don Julio and... Uh, Olivia have been exchanging some flirty letters, some flirty texts. If you will, yes. If you will. But they've been anonymous because Olivia is trying to make sure that he's into her. And also she's just like playing a flirty game, which I'm down for. And of course, naturally creates more hijinks. So they meet up um, semi-anonymously. Like the clever use of veils. That's right, of course, which then get removed. So he recognizes her, but doesn't know her name. Oh, right, 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 right. They have a fun little tete-a-tete, but it's broken up by Victoria and Carlos having a big reveal. Anyway, back to hijinks. So this is where it does get a little bit complicated. Don Julio, not knowing Olivia is Olivia, goes to find out and verify because his friends have been saying, oh my gosh, this woman, Donna Olivia is a crazy shrew no no she's really wonderful she just has terrible taste in music so he's like all right who is right sidebar hold yes. on we have not yet mentioned my favorite character in the entire show and that is don vincenzo and he is a like music freak i don't know what else to call him he's like he's just like an obsessed with music person this is how we get to the kazoo and he just speaks in like one long spout of musical terminology like oh forte forte my dear olivia but now piano piano and de capo and it's just hilarious for any music nerd out there um so so don vincenzo and don garcia are are disagreeing about if olivia is a shrew is she not a shrew um so julio's like all right i'm gonna go visit her and decide for myself well, this is after they've had their flirty anonymous run-in. So nervously, because this is not planned, Olivia asks for Manette to go in her place and pretend to be Donna Olivia because she still wants to like keep her anonymous persona and wants to make sure that he's not into her like money and rather into who she is. So poor Manette doesn't know this whole backstory because they've never had a moment uh, where Olivia could be like, it's Don Julio that I'm into. So Manette doesn't know what's up. But 
when Julio comes over, she does, of course, recognize that he is hot. So she recognizes that <laughs> immediately and makes that very clear. Yes, she has a whole cute little monologue moment of that man is hot. So instead, she like kind of seduces him again, not having any idea that Olivia is into him also. So, of course, that sets up our main hijinks. Will will it all get sorted out? Will Julio discover who Olivia really is? Will marriages ensue? Oh, my gosh. Who knows? You're going to have to read the play to find out. Next week on... Nope, just download the script. <laughs> Next week on download the script. I like that. Very good. <laughs> okay, fine. I will spoil it for you. It all works out. Everybody, Carlos and Victoria works out. Yay! Julio and Olivia works out. Bing, bing, bing. Minette, maybe slightly embarrassed. Fine. Marcella, not married, living her life. Laura, Laura definitely gets hit hardest. Um, she is tricked into burning the deed. And then, you know, Victoria's house is back. Hooray. But I really believe, truly... Laura's such a great character that I believe she's fine. She's better off for it. She's good. She's fine. She's learned. She's lived and learned. So, yeah, pretty much all of the women in this play have something fun to do. They have agency. They have their own opinions. They have their values, their interests. It's delightful. Um. So what was our final count on badass women in this play? Five. Nice. Yeah. So that's great. I'm ready to produce it. Thanks. Yay! Well, congratulations. You'll have those five badass women. You get to do many dumb jokes, cross-dressing, any commedia, cheesy character costumes you want, slapstick, a little bit of fight choreo, keep it sassy. I just think overall, this is a classic. It is a classic. And you know what? There's no excuse not to produce it because it's as producible as any Shakespeare play. There's no, you know, you don't need to fly anyone in. There's no volcanoes, no talking dogs. It's just the basics. And if you do Shakespeare in your season normally, you've got all the costumes for this as well. True, 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 true. Although, again, if you do a production and you decide to add a volcano, a talking dog, or fly anyone, please send those photos to emily at hedgepigensemble.org. I will love them. I will post them on my wall. Probably literally. I will have to get a printer. I will print them at some kind of printing location, and then I will post them on my wall. History. How, how much do you feel like you know about Hannah Kelly? An English writer. That's about what I know about her. Accurate, yes. So Hannah Cowley, um, she was approximately living from 1743 to 1809, um, and she was the most successful female playwright in Britain in her time, which is pretty badass. That is pretty badass. Good for her. Yes. Don't worry. There's more badass coming. She wrote 13 plays, 11 of which were published. Ooh, yeah, right? Like, get it. So Hannah Cowley's dad, Philip Parkhouse, was a bookseller. And so he gave her a basic classical education, which was way better than most women of the time. Um, cool fact, she was named after her mom, who was also Hannah. She was Hannah Parkhouse. And then Hannah Cowley got married, obviously, to someone whose last name was Cowley. She married a man named Thomas Cowley, who who he was 10 years her junior 
So she bagged a younger man. Um, they married in 1772, and then they moved to London, where Thomas Cowley worked as a newspaper editor and an occasional theater critic. Ooh, I don't know why that was a theater critic sound, but it was. It it was. It was like a contemporary journalism update sound. Now on Broadway. Breaking news, this play is a classic. So... As the story goes, and this is probably the one thing that you know about Hannah Kelly. After a disappointing night at the theater, Hannah turned to her husband and said, well, I could write as well myself. And so she did. Yes. You know what? It just rang a little bell in my head because I said I knew nothing about Hannah Cowley. But now I'm thinking that maybe her most famous work is the Bell Stratagem, true or false. True. Absolutely true. So The Bell Stratagem is her most successful play, um, and that's actually the play that allowed her to become the breadwinner of the family. Which oh, was, yeah! Yes! So, badass on many levels. So, again, not a lot of women making more money. Poor Thomas Cowley, by the way, got a better paying job than being a newspaper editor, like was not was not ranking in nearly what Hannah was ranking in. Um, so he got a job with the East India Company, and he died abroad. He left and they never saw each other again. Oh. Yeah. Um, okay, but to backtrack just a little bit. So she wrote her first play um, after being like, I could do this just as well. Heck yes. She, two weeks later, she had the first draft um, of The Runaway, which is mm. another play of hers we've read. And that was produced at Drury Lane. Also a good play. Check it out. Check it out. And shout out to David Garrick, the actor manager of Drury Lane Theater, because he supported a number of women playwrights. And they produced six times as many plays by women than Covent Garden. So props to Drury Lane. Thanks. Thanks for helping women's legacies. So basically, educated lady, breadwinner, successful playwright. So sadly, she died in 1809 three days short of being 66 years old. Hmm. She accomplished a lot. She accomplished a lot in those 65.999 years. <laughs> yeah. So cool lady, Hannah Cowley. Hannah Cowley, make her your friend. See her face on our expandthecanon.com site. .com. I'm not as good. I'm not as good at it. We'll get there. That's right. We'll get there. Dum, dum. And now a scene from Bold Stroke for a Husband. Here we have Laura, read by Sarah Himes, and Carlos, read by Gregory John Phelps. In this scene, Laura, who Carlos has wooed before she left him, has the deed to Carlos's house, which she obtained to teach him a lesson. He is pretty pissed about her behavior and is confronting her, even though he obviously would have done the exact same thing. Here we go. This insolence is not to be endured within my own walls. The time has been when, within your walls, I might be master. Yes, you were then master of my heart. That gave you a right, which... You have now transferred to another. Well, sir... Well, sir, unblushing acknowledgement, false, fickle woman... Because I have luckily got the start of you. In a few weeks, I should have been the accuser and you the false and fickle. And to secure yourself from that disgrace, you prudently looked out in time for another lover. 
I can pardon your sneer because you are mortified. Mortified? <laughs> yes, Carlos. I know your sex. The vainest female in the hour of her exultation and power is still outdone by man in vanity. Tis more your ruling passion than tis ours, and tis wounded vanity that makes you thus tremble with rage at being deserted. Madam, madam. This rage would have been all cool insolence had I waited for your change. Then, whilst, with all my sex weakness, I had knelt at your feet and reproached you only with my tears, oh, how composed would have been your feelings! Has any hour since I have first known you given you cause for such unjust... Yes, every hour. You saw, you liked, you loved me. Was there no fond, trusting woman whom you deserted to indulge the transient passion? Yes. One blessed with beauty, gentleness, and youth. One who, more than her own being, loved thee, who made thee rich, and whom thou madest thy wife. My wife! Here's a turn. So, to revenge the quarrels of my wife... No, do not mistake me. What I have done was merely to indulge myself, without more regard to your feelings than you had to hers. Great. Thanks so much to Sarah and Greg for their read. Why I love it is Laura has such... It's already such a immediate shock into... A man would never have written this. Laura is standing up for herself. She's talking about how men are all about their ego. And actually, um, while women are supposedly the weaker sex, like this is how men would behave in the reverse position. So to recap why this is a classic. One, you've got five badass developed women characters. Two. You have incredible use of language and shenanigans by a wonderful wordsmith. Three, you have, okay, this is sort of going back to having five badass women, but all of the women in this play have opinions and different opinions, and they're all funny, and they're all scheming. They're all incredibly thoughtful. And again, it's like, you know, um, if you want to say that all classics are timeless and, you know... I, I think that classics do come in and out of style and talk to different moments differently. But certainly, um, this is timeless in that way that, you know, humans are still having relationships and they're examining those in very thoughtful ways. And it still feels really relevant today. It doesn't feel like these characters live a million miles away from my experience. It's also just a very structurally sound play, mm. you know, just as playmaking goes, especially from someone that clearly just watched theater and read books and then created plays. Like the the, the structure is there and it just, you know, it's, it's a solid play. And if you use Arcot, you can say the word kazoo. I mean, that makes it a classic. That's right. One of my favorite lines I just have to like share. Please do. Um, it's, it's definitely the go-kart line, but it's just so good. So there's a threat against Olivia that if she doesn't marry and her dad does remarry, that she will be immured in a convent for life. And she's like, all right, immured in a convent? Then I'll raise sedition in the sisterhood, depose the abbess, and turn the confessor's chair to a go-kart. And I am like, yes, you will. Yes. 
Oh, I love her. Put me in. Put me in the nunnery, but I'm going to take it over <laughs> things. This is a classic. Go do this play. Go read this play. I hope everyone has the opportunity to see this play. Yes. And seriously, um, send us, you know, if you have other reasons. Again, we sort of stopped numbering ours. Send us your reasons that you think this is a classic play. Again, do send me your volcano flying people production photos. Send me your research papers. Um, but we'd love to talk to you about this play and engage with you on what you think. Um, so send us send us a hello. Especially if you are about to be in a production or you're thinking about producing this play or you just saw it. Like, let us know. We are so hungry for knowing when these Expand the Canon plays get out there in the world because that's the whole point of what we are doing here. We just want those plays in the world. We want a wider canon of plays. We want plays that have more points of view in them and tell us about it. It just makes us happy. It makes us feel like it's working. Yeah, and we'd love to share what you're up to and that the canon is expanding. Thank you for joining us for our Bold Stroke for a Husband edition of This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon theater podcast. Learn more at expandthecanon.com. .com. For info on what's up next, you can follow us on Instagram. At Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Facebook. Slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Or join our mailing list at hedgepigensemble.org. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. And leave us a review. It really helps folks know that you support an expanded canon. You can also support this effort by donating at the link in the comments below. Bitly slash Hedgepig Memberships. Use that capital H and capital M. Again, I'm Emily Lyon. And I'm Mary Candler. Thanks. See you soon. Bye-bye.